Hey, everybody, it's Nick Walters again with the National Industrial Hemp Growers Digest. Welcome back to our podcast and welcome back to our second season uh, of our um, episodes to learn more about the hemp industry, particularly as it relates to industrial hemp. And we are uh, super tickled yet again to have somebody on the on the uh, a podcast with us that that uh, has got great information and great insight and and uh, uh, maybe he's probably forgotten more than some of us might ever know uh, about what's going on in the hemp industry. So Kayla Hurd, welcome. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you so much, Nick. I'm so excited to to be here with you uh, and discuss a little bit today about where I've been, what I'm doing now, and where I think we're all going together. So uh, super exciting. Uh, Thanks for having me on here today. That is a wonderful segue into exactly what I would like to be able to do. You know, one of the things we ask folks is, as you kind of introduce yourself a little bit, tell us more, you know, like Will Rogers said, it ain't bragging if it's the truth, right? So you you don't don't, don't hold back. Tell something that your mama would want you to tell. Okay. Oh about, God. About how about how well you've done. You don't have to hold back from on, on anything like that. But um uh but we also would love to hear what your hemp aha moment was where you really thought, oh, this is this stuff is cool. I need to be in part of that. So jump I think in. Those are kind of they're kind of they're kind of intertwined. And mm-hmm. um it starts with um, more of, I guess, me being the bad guy than the hero. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, what I'm a little bit of shame at the front end of the story led to a lot of really big victories on the back end here. So it's exciting. Um, but what really brought me, you know, into Colorado goes back to Texas and what brought me into the hemp industry goes back to Texas. So there I was working um, as the vice president of a custom chemical manufacturing facility and blending facility for big ag and big oil. And um, we did a lot of custom formulations and a little bit of good that we were able to do is bring some bio-based bio-based chemicals in to replace some synthetics and petroleum-based products. So we were able to do some good, but um, I was there for a few years and we actually, uh, you know, a bunch of people, they hear the double term glyphosate and Roundup. And um, I was directly involved in creating the surfactants that go into uh, the, 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 the carrier for the chemical to, to go for glyphosate to do its job. So the surfactants that we produced um, would allow the leaf pores to open so that the chemical could penetrate um, and kill the weeds. So we, yeah. we mostly worked with off-brand Roundup, um, you know, any of the off-brand products that you can find on the market at any tractor supply. Unfortunately, they're still on the shelves. Um, but through that process, that led me to going to a lot of conferences and really developing relationships with farmers and big co-ops of farmers um, at growing all kinds of different things. And through that process, I learned um, that nothing we were doing was helping. <laughs> it was a lot of hurting. Uh, and already, you know, I, I think I rationalized things a little bit like, yeah, we're producing chemicals, but we're also finding ways to do things, you know, better for the environment. If we're going to do it, might as well be the lesser of the two evils types of things and, and rationalized it that way, of course. Um, and one day I was at a conference out in uh, Charlotte and I talked to this farmer and he was like, yeah, no, you know, I'm looking for uh, to, to buy my own surfactant and buy my own glyphosate and blend it. I'm like, well, you can't do that, but I'll give you the resources. And it led to us 
having a discussion about why he was using Roundup glyphosate products on his crops. And it was because for years, his, for generations, his family had been re-sowing their seed. So they'd been, you know, taking their seed and re-sowing it mm-hmm. and they had cross-contamination and, you know, you have to register your seed every year with the Department of Agriculture. Um, and he had gotten cross-contaminated from a farmer that was using G. And I don't really know the whole process, but it somehow came back that he got sued by Monsanto. Oh, wow. And he either, because he was not licensed to use their seed. And even though it was because of a, of a, of a uh, cross-pollination in the cycle that he replanted from the previous year, cross-pollinated with the GMO crop, um, he still was under obligation. even though he never purchased or planted that seed. And so that was kind of the tipping point of me going and feeling, what are we really doing here? Like, what are we really doing with our food systems? What are we really doing with our crop systems? What are we really, because, you know, I'm looking at all these SDS sheets, you know, safety data sheets and, you know, reproductive health issues and uh, cancer and carcinogenic and all these things. And I'm young and dumb and, you know, a female vice president in a world full of men and, you know, really excited about it. So all those things were just kind of like we until that moment where I was really forced to take a look at all of it. Um, And that was really um, I started to lose my passion for what I was doing because I didn't I realized what I was doing wasn't beneficial to our planet or people. Um, and when I took that step back, there was an opportunity for me to exit the company through a partial acquisition, um, bringing a lot of cash into the company so that I could make a clean exit. And so, um, that's exactly what I did. And I said, all right, I'm going to go to Colorado and I'm going to work in hemp because Texas was still firmly planted and not a chance Mm -hmm. Um, at that point. It's come a long way. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I, you know, Colorado was still in its young years of the hemp industry. And I was like, why not? I'm going to go. So I drove up here and dove right in. And so, you know, it's kind of the, the aha moment was what is the biggest impact I can make and, and it was a really conscious moment of sitting there. What's the biggest impact I can make for my personal life, for the planet, for the people, and for this plant that I love? Um, and I already had, you know, a personal relationship with cannabis um, and hemp, you know, had a couple pieces of hemp clothing, nothing, you know, too serious, but right. was, you know, had some hemp wick on a lighter somewhere, you know, little, little <laughs> stuff. Um, but I really started down and sat down and started doing research. And because of my position in the chemical company, I had access to a lot of research database um, for different chemists. And when I started researching cannabinoids and all these, you know, published papers from anywhere from 1960 on, um, and all these cannabinoids pathways and synthase pathways and how they were really working in the body, I was just blown away. And so it was that partnered with what it does. So that's what it does for the people partnered with what it does for the planet partners with what it can do for me in my personal life. Uh Um, Really, it was a no-brainer. It's like, all right, hemp is where it's at. I'm moving to Colorado, and if I don't get a job in hemp, well, I guess I'm living on the streets in Colorado. <laughs> um, and luckily, I was doing some um, back-end stuff for a couple of companies here, so from Texas, so it made it easy to kind of branch off into that. But you, I mean, but your background, education background, is is, is a biochemist, right? 
Um, so that's by trade. So I trade, oh. I, I, I trained for those for three years of my tenure there, um, with the gentleman named Dr. Charles Green. And he's a triple PhD chemist in his nineties who, wow. um, was just the most phenomenal person to work next to. So it, it's more just basic chemistry, um, experience, but you know, he, he, he developed the base chemicals for 409 working for Procter and Gamble, you know, back in the day, he, um, solved the mad cow epidemic in the U.S. in the 90s has all these thank you letters from the USDA and all these other different, you know, three and four letter words. So he was just an amazing man to work beside. And um, that's where I learned a lot of the trade and technical um, aspect of developing and custom formulizing. Um, by education, actually, uh, my first degree was in psychology oh. and uh, my second degree was in business management. So, okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. Very cool. Well, that's, <laughs> yeah. no, that's, a, that's, that's always going to come in handy, you know, is, yeah. that, is that psychology piece when, particularly when you're dealing with humans and the last Yeah. Cause then I can catch myself when I start getting crazy. Right. I can be like, Oh, I, re I recognize myself in that textbook. I read that one time. My um, grandmother used to say, you can talk to yourself all you want, but when you answer yourself, then, then we got problems. That's when, that's when you got to worry a little bit. All right. We might be, we might, we might be at the problem level. Yeah. Here let's don't, let's, just, let's this is about a tell-off, right? This is this is not that, this is not that show. Okay, that's a that's a that's exactly right to do. Well, that is so very cool about part of that. And so, um, <clears throat> you have had an opportunity as you have seen the hemp industry grow. Fortunately, you were literally in the spot where the industry itself was really taken off more than anywhere else, right? I mean, yeah. just because I mean, obviously there were other places around yeah, Kentucky were, was doing a really good job at that same time. And, but Kentucky never even came on my radar. It's funny. I, Kentucky never came on my radar until I was firmly planted in Colorado. So it must not have been where I was meant to be. Gotcha. Uh, gotcha. <laughs> good, good, good stuff to do, but you've, you've had an opportunity to work with, with several different uh, organizations and groups within the hemp world. Right. And so yeah. uh, you've, you, I know you have been in the past, you know, real active in NOCO and, and being able to help, um, see how a lot of that gets birthed with our our friends and Lizzie and 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 Morris and others over there. So I mean yes. you've been able to see the 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 industry grow from a bunch of different perspectives, right? Sure. So what what would you say are a couple of things that have been the most positive over the past couple of years, other than the passage of the 2018 farm bill. Okay, we all get that. But I'm just saying because we're still in a young industry, right? I mean, we really are still young in so many different ways. But what would you say? Look, these were some benchmarks. These are some these were some moments, whatever we want to call them, that things really moved in a positive way. Yeah. So there's a few um, and there's a few that are maybe perceived negatives that I view as positive. So the, okay. the first positive, I think, was really the CBD gold rush, right? Because it got the word him on CNN, you know, I got the word hemp on these major platforms and the word CBD and to where people's grandma knew what it was. And, and so that was a first really big positive push, you know, besides the farm bill that came a little later and then really pushed that again. Um, but the second really big positive that I, it's like the blessing in disguise almost was the crash of the CBD market, the crash of the gold rush and the yeah. crash of that, because really the fiber where, where we're really going to succeed as a war, as, as, as an economy and as a global economy is through the building materials and infrastructure and, you know, clothing, car parts, you know, all those industrial applications, um, especially building and 
and building materials. Right. Um, and we couldn't get any attention during the gold rush because all of the money was going into CBD because it was quick buck, quick turnaround, you know, $3,000 a kilo, $7,000 a kilo of isolate, you know, these crazy numbers. Right. And when that crashed, all those people were forced to shift. And there's a little bit, you know, of course, anybody who works in an extraction lab probably isn't thrilled with that, but they're getting their CBD a lot cheaper and that's hard, but it's brought a lot of farmers over who now have grown hemp. <clears throat> Maybe they grow it for CBD, but they're ready to do fiber and herd and industrial application growth now on big, you know, we're talking hectares, thousands, hundreds of thousands of hectares that people are like, okay, once, once we know how to do this the right way, we'll commit to this, you know, now, and especially Texas is huge and there's so much land there to grow. And um, even out here in Colorado, it's, it's really time to take advantage of that. And one of the, the biggest stats that I saw recently was um, how long to get out of a burning building. Um, and I want to say it was three minutes. Um, I'm going to, I'm two to three minutes. So today, because of the prevalence of synthetic materials in the home, occupants have roughly two to three minutes to get out of your house. 30 years ago, you had an average of 14 to 17 minutes. Wow. So you just have an average of 14 oh. to 17 minutes to get out of your house once it caught on fire. Now you have an average of two to three minutes. You have 120 to 180 seconds to collect your family and your pets and get out of your home if it catches fire before you die because of the synthetic materials that we're putting in our home. So, um, wow. I've not heard that stat. That's pretty yeah, small. Yeah. It's and, and you saw what just happened in, in Colorado with yeah, the yeah. fires. We lost a thousand homes like that. I mean, we, there was over a thousand homes that burned down in a matter of a few hours and, um, it couldn't be stopped. And it, and part of it is because of the high flammability of our homes that we live in and hemp create different hemp materials as a whole, right. um, using lime again, going back to using lime as a building material. If hemp, hemp doesn't have to be the only filler, there's other fillers that lime creates, you know, lime is really the heat resistant piece here. Um, so there's, there's other options. Hempcrete just happens to be a carbon negative, you know, and it has that uptake. Right. Um, and then you continue to, we, we had, and I'm, I'm going to butcher these numbers. So don't quote me on that, but uh, I had, I had heard somebody talk on GHA not too long ago, who's been documenting the numbers of, if you replace a three bedroom, one bath home build with traditional building material to hemp blocks and hempcrete free cast, uh -huh. um, so a traditional house puts off like 13 tons of CO2. So not only you're reducing that 13 tons, but you're also sequestering another eight tons in the material that it takes. Um, so you're taking that 13 tons plus you're making a delta of another eight ton um, through by using hempcrete. So wow. when you really start to look at these numbers um, and then you can put the science behind the numbers to prove it. That's where we have a lot of power. So that's the third thing that I say is very exciting is a lot of data is bubbling up to the surface. A lot of recent Whoa. data that can withstand peer review, that can withstand, um, you know, years of, of development that we can take this data now and look at it and redevelop it and have these brilliant minds come on board who our industry couldn't afford to pay them before, you know, and not everybody can afford to donate a year or two's worth of work to an industry sure, like a lot sure. of us have. Um, and so it's that, that's the other thing that I find very exciting is some of the data that's bubbling up to the surface um, here today. Absolutely. Well, you know, I mean, that's, what's cool about all the, all the building material pieces when you, 
think about it, not only about what's being sequestered, but what you're not putting right, what you're not putting back into the environment on the beginning. Right. So it's kind of right. like they like like they see in the Blues Brothers, you both country and Western. Right. So you can you can do you can have all of those pieces. And and, and I hear you what you're saying on the on the <clears throat> You certainly don't wish anything and you hate that it happened to the growers and the farmers that planted a bunch of, of hemp thinking that they were going to get rich at CBD and, they, and it didn't happen. But comma, looking at it from a whole, you know, when you can look at it in the rearview mirror and say, if that had not happened, how, you know, where would we have really gotten down to what I am starting to see more and more in the industry of the of the industrial grain and fiber side, particularly on the fiber side that, that are, are saying it's kind of a, yeah, we're not the CBD folks. There's like, I mean, just for us in, in the co-op, we don't focus on CBD just because right. I mean, we might, if our members tell us that's what they think we need to do, but it's not going to happen for the next couple of years. So let's go right. put our energy and effort to where we can try to make stuff happen. And, 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 that's what I'm excited about, because I think the timing of that, it seems that a lot of these Jake legs and bad actors and a lot of folks that kind of came in on the front end. A lot of those folks have pardoned the pun weeded out by this time that they are not. I don't mean that you're not still going to have some goobers. OK, I don't I don't mean that. <laughs> there's still going to be some. But but just these folks that are coming in and selling people 40 acres and a mule and something that's just not true. Well, and that's you took the words right out of my mouth. That's what I was going to say, you know, with the farmers that that got burned. You know, I was one of the people that were there to help them pick up the pieces. You know, I was one of the people that were there when these bad actors who promised them, you know, you're going to make a million dollars an acre and you're going to get rich and family's never going to work in. You're going to be able to pay off that third mortgage you just took off, took out on your farm. Right. Um, you know, you're going to be able to pay that off. No problem. Those people aren't here anymore. And, you know, it's the people like us who had to step back and say, okay, here's a plan that's realistic. It's not going to get you rich in a year. Maybe it'll get you rich in a decade, you know, maybe, maybe even to never get you rich, but it's, it's, it's logical. It's feasible. It's better than corn. You're not relying on government subsidies. And here's a way that you can do it where you're going to be successful. And if you're not successful having, this is what nobody's had so far is some kind of guarantee to the farmer, right? Like it, if, if you go to grow bell peppers today, if, if a company hires you to grow bell peppers as a farmer, you come in with an agreement. They come in, if you grow this way and you do it like this and you harvest like this and you, you make sure that if there's no water, you have a drip line in place to feed this many inches of water and you're going to use this approved pest crop list, you know, pesticide list, this herbicide list. And if you do all of this, you not only a you have insurance coverage if something goes wrong, which now our industry has and we didn't have before, right. um, but you're guaranteed the pay payment. It doesn't matter if the bell peppers only grew to the size of a grape. The farmers guaranteed the payment because they followed and documented along the way that they followed all the procedures that the, that the contract required. And we right, haven't been right. able to offer that to farmers. And that's where we're gro growing and developing into a real agricultural commodity crop. And we're not having to um, be so much the Wild West anymore. Right. We're not growing ditch wheat anymore. People we're growing homes We're growing clothes We're growing some good medicine too. I mean, I love cannabinoids. I, you know, I, I, you know, I talk a lot about building material, but I do love 
cannabinoids and, and, and how they work in our brain. I've spoken at many a conferences on some very scientific detailed, specific, um, you know, pathways and neurosynthase and all of these amazing things that cannabinoids, how they work in our brains and outside of the endocannabinoid system. Um, so I don't want anybody to think that I'm hating on cannabinoids at all. I love them. I just think that our future that's only a piece of our future, right? I'm working with a company right now um, who does, and I, I talked to you about this briefly on yeah. the, the biobutanol, yeah. you know, and that can be a drop-in replacement for ethanol. And they've they've been working on this for years. The research has been done. Hemp is just one of the many feedstocks, and they can use um, hemp waste, you know, so waste from these different streams to create the, this biobutanol, and um, different cannabis waste too. So as, as marijuana is made legal in the country, the waste from those grows can be used right. to create biobutanol and this biobutanol can then be used. At, and, and, uh, an offset of that is that you can create a PHA, which is a, a plastic that's biodegradable in water in, in the ocean. Um, so we could make these straws that aren't going to kill a bunch of sea turtles and, you know, different things that can be done. Um, it's come up, we've come a long way. So working with people like that and continuing to develop these technologies that are really going to, what we're doing is we're changing the world. We're changing the way people think about everyday things, like the fuel they put in their car. How cool would it be? You know, those little stickers you see at the gas station, I'm just rambling now, but you know, those little stickers you see at the gas station. <laughs> on the, uh, preaching, is what I'm saying. Uh, that's I'm right. That's right. I got on my soapbox real quick. Um, but the little, the little sticker you see at the gas station with, and it's like this gasoline may contain up to 10% ethanol. It's got a little corn stock on it. Yeah. How cool would that be in the cool. next few years? If it's, you know, 20% of this fuel is made with biobutanol and it's got a little hemp plant, you know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, that'd be pretty cool. Right. Um, right, right, right. Um, so the things that we do now, even though I love cannabinoids, I think that there's there's a place for that. And then for sure. the waste stream of that, we now have so many more opportunities because of the cannabinoid market. Well, you know, and I think that the other thing that's great timing about this is that for those of us who don't have not had the same kind of journey like you. And I mean, people like me and others that have come from business or have come from other places to understand, you know, you don't have to really believe or not whether any of these environmental positive things are going to save a polar bear or not. Okay. You don't have to believe it, but, the, but, but, but the, and, and, and without getting into the argument of the science of it. Okay. The reality of it is there's a market there. Okay. And people are going to pay for that. And to know how that fits into a, an entire ESG footprint about how things can work and all that, there's a bunch of reasons to understand hemp is a reason for you to be able to get into it, to invest, to come be a part of it, to be a part of something. You don't have to be a grower or a farmer. You don't have to be all that. You may be a, you know, a chemist who understands how this can work for, you know, fiberglass replacement or whatever else it is that's going on. So it's, it's a, it's a great time to kind of, I don't think it's anywhere close to having tipped, but 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 it's there's enough of the bad apples that have gotten out of the way that, sure. that there's enough that we can kind of understand, OK, here's a really cool thing to get into. And that's now I'm preaching. But that's one of the things that we love about our model that we're that we are developing through the co-op is that regardless of the size of the land or the amount of acres that you may own or have, you still have a a place in this. You don't have to be a 10,000 acre production agriculture, fourth generation farmer 
is that's the only way you're going to be able to participate because there's all kinds of ways for you to be able to participate. And, and because it is so many awesome things that the plant will do, right? Sometimes it, sometimes do do you ever get frustrated, uh, you know, to think sometimes it's almost like too much. It's, it's too much of what the, of what the plant will do. And it's too hard to focus in on the things that it'll do. Well, it'll do this and it'll do that. I mean, when I first started checking into it, I'm thinking, come on now, it's not going to do all of this. I mean, you know, I mean, that's, I mean, I've, but doggone if it's not true. Right? These dang hippies making things up again, Nick says. Uh, <laughs> that was my first thought. Right, right, right. But, but about my and your second thought, thought is, damn, I'm... I must be a hippie. Yeah. <laughs> Don't tell my mama. <laughs> oh, goodness. Oh, goodness. Well, no, but that's what's cool about it. It is. It is. And what you guys are doing with the co-op, too, it's 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 really interesting to see, you know, the value that you guys are adding to the industry and that the partnerships with what I see is most important is the partnerships that the co-op, the opportunities that the co-op brings their members through your partnerships. Right. Like there's no ego involved here, which is how we're going to succeed. Um, and even if there is ego, it's just like, yeah, I'm awesome. And this other person is awesome. And we're awesome together. Like there's no, you know, you don't, there's no being awesome alone here anymore. Uh And the people who want to go be awesome alone, well, they're going to be left in the little sandbox while we go play in the big one. Like, unfortunately (laughs) for them. Um, but I I think you're right. I think, you know, more collaborating where we do we've weeded out a lot of the bad apples. And I think how we continue to do that is through collaboration, right? Nobody's got to bad mouth anybody. Nobody has to say anything negative about each other, but you see when people can work together and you're collaborating and you, you draw, it's like moths to a flame. You yeah. draw the support from the people who are really there um, to move the industry forward. And that's, you know, like you mentioned briefly, NOCO, my experience with NOCO um, shout out to NOCO coming up here in March at the end yes. of March, March 24th and 25th. Um, it's going to be here so incredibly fast in Denver, Colorado. Um So very, very excited for that. Uh, But working with Morris and Lizzie and just all of the speakers and the coordinators and the volunteers and all of the people that it takes to really make that happen. um, It always it always gives you a, a little a little boost right at that event. You know, you look around and you realize it's 250, 300 people that made this, you know, 10,000, 20,000 person event happen. Um, And to be a piece of that, you know, it's really exciting. So those for me are the big wins in the industry when you have collaborated with people and that's what NOCO is all about, right? Collaboration, bringing the industry together. Um, And really because, you know, NOCO's always really um, been an industry focused show, but because CBD was such a big part of the industry for so long, there was a big focus there. And now what people are going to see in NOCO going forward into the 2022 and beyond is really that industry focus. Um, You know, there'll be, uh, CBD of, will, of course, have a representation there for people who are looking for like white label or, um, you know, wholesale or anything like that. Those We, we don't want to alienate our cannabinoid market, sure. um, but you're really going to see a huge focus on farmers, industrial, agriculture, equipment, building materials, housing, clothing, you know, everything we've always seen before, but on a much more uh, focused on a larger scale this year for NOCO. So I'm really, really excited about that. Um, have had some really cool conversations with some equipment companies that let me know they were going to be there. So very excited. And then Global Hemp Association, um, you know, Mandy Kerr over there as the executive director, she's amazing. Nick, you do a lot 
you know, to help us out, we greatly appreciate you. I've just um, come on as the COO over there. Um, right. So that's very exciting. I wish I had like some bells and whistles to ring right now. Like, it's very, very, very exciting. Um, but we've partnered with NOCO this year. We're actually going to be hosting um, an awards banquet um, with some really cool awards. Um, you know, we have a, a Mother Earth Award the women uh, to honor a woman in agriculture. Oh, cool. And, a, you know, um, a, like a, a community and leadership award and um, awards along that are, that are really mean something and that carry weight moving forward and we're about to open up nominations for those through the oh. global hemp association.org so people will be able to go in and nominate um and then we'll have a people's we'll get that nomination and get that win so um, we're also going to be giving away uh, a tiny home at NOCO um, through cool? Global Hemp Association, a hemp tiny home through Coexist and a partnership with GHA so uh, we're very very excited about that um, as well as the awards dinner of course so exciting uh, but a lot of just really amazing things on top of all of the other growth that Global Hemp Association is experiencing at the moment so um, I kind of segued without you there sorry no, I, got, I was I headed all there excited. but i'm glad you did it that, you, you kept me from having to do it right that's exactly right yeah i get i get i get so excited i just can't stop sometimes i'm like that snowball going downhill um absolutely okay. well i'm excited to be a part of it and uh the co-op is as well and and to have you guys got a booth right right near ghas booth right we do i picked it out on purpose uh, all right so we could so be uh, can we find could us. be within Back by the I, I, education stage, right? Yeah. Where people will find us. That's right. Right. Awesome. On, uh, within earshot and eyeshot of each other on part of that. And are we and, gonna have you know, a dance party, Nick? I'm hoping. I mean, do you, you know, know the Macarena? Uh, I will know it by the time I get there. How about that? No, <laughs> All right, deal. <laughs> <laughs> All right, people, you heard it here first. Yeah. You come by the GHA booth and come by over here and see us. And, and Nick, we will get in the in the aisle and dance the Macarena for you. No, so. the, the deal you want to do, it that'd be a fundraiser is to get us to stop doing it, right? And see how much money <laughs> it would be to pay us to quit and go back to our respective booths. That may be the better, that may be the better way to be able to pull it together. So oh my that's terrific. Hey, Kayla, thank you so much for taking time with us today and to, and to give us some really, really great insight into where we've been and kind of where we're headed. And you've, you've got the creds in that space to talk about those things. We're super excited about GHA, um, about being involved in that, not only on the advisory board, but other ways that we can be involved with the production ag committee and things like that that we're working on we're, we're, we're excited about all of that and it's a it's a cool really great time to be a part of it so yeah thank, thank you, you for thank doing you that. so much and if anybody wants to connect you know they can reach out to me kayla at globalhempassociation.org um you can find me on linkedin kayla herd h-e-a-r-d i've been thinking about getting it changed to herd with a u so it matches well, that's herd, say, but, that's you know cool. um i haven't quite haven't quite made it to the to the <laughs> to the office yet to make, get that done but i appreciate your time so much um anything we can do to get involved with the co-op and help push forward anything your members need um gha is a resource you know we're i'm so happy to have this partnership with you guys and together we'll 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 never stop moving him forward hot diggity dog i couldn't have i couldn't have ended our conversation better than any other way that you did just right there hey look thanks for joining us here at the uh, Industrial Hemp Growers Digest podcast. Um, uh, you will have been able to uh, listen and hear yet a, another great interview. So stay tuned for even more great interviews and, and podcast episodes that we've got coming up in the future. Kayla, thank you. 
Thanks. Talk soon. Bye. Okay. This podcast produced and distributed by MWB Studios.